Here we go. Welcome to Digital Hospitality. I am your host, Sean Walchef. This is a Cali BBQ Media production. Every single week, we talk about digital hospitality, and that's our ongoing thesis that every single business needs to be digital first, and every business needs to be in the hospitality business. We are laser focused at making you, the listener, uncomfortable because we don't we we enjoy being uncomfortable. That is how we've been able to grow our brand, um, and more specifically how do we grow our brand using the smartphone? So whether you're an iPhone user, whether you're an Android user, the most important thing is that we're telling stories on that platform so that we can distribute it to all the different social media platforms. Um, we've had incredible opportunities. We just got back from New York City. Um, we got invited by Toast, our primary technology partner, to participate in their IPO, to be there on the scenes um, with 100 other Toast executives and 20 other customers. Very exciting day for the restaurant technology space. And we wouldn't have been able to do that if it wasn't for the videos that we make for Toast. So we made an unboxing video that we put on YouTube, me and my general manager, essentially unboxing restaurant technology the same way that my son watches kids unbox monster trucks and Hot Wheels. Um, we encourage you, the listener, to do that no matter what business you're in. Um, every week, we're going to bring on somebody that inspires us to be better, somebody that's a phenomenal storyteller, somebody that um, that we've met along the way through our digital journey and in real life journey. And today, um, I get to bring on somebody from Clubhouse. Again, another reason why I love the app Clubhouse is it really breaks down a lot of the social media barriers. It's what we call deep social media. So it allows us to have a digital connection with somebody listening audio wise, but you can raise your hand, you can ask a question, you can develop a deeper relationship, then you can follow someone on Instagram, follow them on Twitter. And today's guest is Chip Close. It's at Chip Close Creative. Uh, Chip Close is one person that I can't tell you how much I respect the work that he's doing um, for the hospitality industry, and to really move this industry forward because of not only his ideas, but his execution. So he helps other restaurant owners, other chefs, other operators really work on the storytelling craft of marketing. And um, without further ado, I'm welcoming Chip to the show. Chip, what's up? Thank you so much for having me here. I've been a big fan of you, this show, everything you stand for. Uh, it was a little bit like, uh, you know, when, when you meet your idol and uh, we met in Clubhouse <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God, here's this guy I've been listening to for all these years. And uh, the feeling is mutual. I love what you are doing. I love the generosity you bring uh, to this podcast and to the work you do and to the way that you help other operators out there. Uh, I'm very much trying to, uh, to bring that same spirit to the work I do. Well, I appreciate that. And it's it's one of the things that we love about the the podcasting platform is and it's it's all storytelling. So we break it down. It's audio, it's video, it's written word and images. And ultimately, once you start telling those stories, you never know who's listening. You never know who's watching. And we always get focused as humans as wanting to have a million subscribers on YouTube or 100,000 listeners to your podcast. All that matters is one person. And if you That's can impact it. one person, you know, and if you, Chip, are listening to my podcast, the stuff that Stover, my producer, and Ian, my writer, and our entire Cali Barbecue media team, if you're, if you, with all the work that you've done, are listening to our podcast, then I know that we're doing something right. And it might take a long time. It might take four years before we leverage our first podcast to launch our second podcast with Entrepreneur Magazine, with Yelp. But you know, it's all those work. It's all those reps that are so important. Can you, can you tell the listeners a little bit about your background and how you got to where you are today? 
Yeah, so I live here in New York City. Uh, I've been here for almost 20 years. I started in uh, hospitality when I was in college. I worked my way up. Uh, when I moved here to New York, I got a job as a host and then as a server and then a server in a better restaurant and then uh, became a captain, moved over to fine dining, became a maitre d', got into management. I worked about seven or eight years of my career uh, opening restaurants, uh, kind of made a name for myself doing that. So uh, when, I, when you talk about launching brands and, and finding ways to stand out, uh, I launched multiple brands to, to rave reviews, to great openings in one of the sat most saturated markets uh, in the world. Um, so I, I know what this is all about. Um, that's how I spent most of my time. And then I started getting really into marketing. I started looking uh, at marketing, learning about marketing. Uh, and I suddenly realized that uh, restaurants really don't do marketing very well because <laughs> uh, they usually don't do marketing. And yes. um, so now I, I work with clients, right? I coach, I consult. Um, I've got my own podcast, which you were a, a guest on, the, the Restaurant Phenomenal Strategy Podcast. podcast. Yes, we'll put and a link that, in the show notes because it's a yeah, phenomenal pod podcast. And I appreciate that. I, I appreciate that. That largely has just been an extension of the work I do. And, and the whole idea is how do we help uh, how do we help operators? So leveraging all the operational experience, then taking all the, the marketing know-how, kind of mixing it together and helping people build more profitable restaurants and get more specific, more deliberate about who they're reaching out to, who they're trying to, to get into the restaurant, how they're trying to bring those people back, how they're cultivating relationships, and on and on and on and on. That's me in a nutshell. Um, it all comes down to helping uh, chefs and operators build more profitable restaurants. So what I always say, uh, that's, that's the whole mission. Can you break down marketing and simplify it for us? We're obsessed with simplifying things because I find that the more that we talk about digital media, the more that we talk about SEO marketing and internet marketing and social media strategy, the more that people tend to tune out and they go, it's just an overwhelming factor. Can you break it down? What is marketing? It's a great question. It's actually my favorite topic to talk about when we talk about marketing. Because when you say, oh, what is marketing, right? That we said operators uh, you know, say, oh, well, I don't do marketing. I can't afford to do marketing. I'm not a big company. I don't have a marketing department. Everyone does marketing. Everyone has to do marketing. Marketing, for me, get rid of the academic uh, definitions, the vocab, all of that. It's just three questions. It comes down to three questions. And this, you're going to repeat over and over in your head, right? When you say, well, I don't do marketing. Yes, you do. It's just these three questions. What's your product? Who is it for? And how can you reach them? That is it. What's the product? Who is it for? How do you reach them? What's the product? Who is it for? How do you reach them? And it can work in reverse order, right? You create a product and then you figure out, oh, who is most apt to love this product, right? That's the first two questions. And then you say, great, how can we let them know? How can we make sure that they know about this? Because we know they're going to love it. Or you go backwards. You say, who needs something? How can I craft something that they need, right? Who's got a problem? How can I craft a solution to that problem? And then how do I let them know that I've solved their problems, right? That's it. Three questions. All marketing comes down to those three questions. What's your product? Who is it for? And how can you reach them? And as a, a business owner, you can't afford not to do marketing. If you just simplify it, you have to find an answer to those three questions. The key is you figure out your product, you figure out who's most apt to love your product, and then everything else we do, all the marketing work, is wrapped up in that third question. How do we reach them, right? It used to be, uh, you know, uh, Craigslist and the Yellow Pages and, right? And now it's Google and it's social media and it's Yelp. The, the media changes, right? How people discover us, right? It's now, it's now on our phones, right? That's, yep. that's, the, that's everything, right? We walk around glued to these things. 
it's going to change again in another 10 years, 15 years. It's going to be something different. It's about being aware that what's the product, who is it for, and then how do we reach them? We're going to figure out different ways to reach them over and over again and staying nimble enough, aware enough to know where your people are and how to go get them. Well, what's amazing to me is that people for forever, since the start of business, have always been pitching their product, have always been marketing. You, you literally had to market. You have to sell this idea of a restaurant, of a business to someone, probably your significant other to start with. Hey, honey, or hey, husband, or hey, whoever, significant other, I have an idea to launch this business. Like you have to start somewhere selling this idea. And then all along the way, you get all these people that tell you you're crazy. You can't do it. This is why it won't work. But you're selling. You're literally selling and you're literally marketing it. First, you have to convince yourself. You have to actually sure. verbalize it yourself to say, hey, I see this niche and I think I can solve this problem. Should I verbalize this? Should this become a business plan? But then all of a sudden we do all this work. We get this business launched. And yet somehow we, there's this paralysis where we, we stop selling. So yes. it's this field, the field of dreams effect that I, that I write about often, that I talk about often, right? This idea, if anyone knows the movie, 1989, Kevin Costner, he hears a voice that tells him, if you build it, they will come. Clear your cornfield, make a baseball feed, uh, field, and they will come. And so many operators go into that, right? They say, oh, my food's great. Everybody, everybody loves my food. My, my neighbors tell me I'm, I'm a great cook and whatever it is, right? They say, okay, if I just make my restaurant, People will come because I know it's good. And yeah. you know this as an operator. Certainly uh, the listeners of this show will know that's not true or it's very, very, very rarely true. Um, you, you, you need more than that. You always needed more than that, but it's now our markets are so saturated. Food culture in America is at such, uh, it's such a point right now. It's an exciting time to be in the industry. Um, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, you could just be good, right? pretty place, good food, good service, and you could survive. But now every place is great. Every place has interesting dishes, great service, cool dining room. It's like one thing after another. You know, it's funny what you were just, uh, what you were just bringing up reminded me of a book that I read. Uh, it's by a guy named Daniel Pink. Have you ever read To Sell as Human? No, but I'll put it on my list. Ugh. We'll put it in the show notes for put sure. Put this on your to-do list. Put this on your reading Absolutely. list. To Sell as Human. And he talks about this whole thing about how we're all in sales. That we're think of sales in terms of uh, persuasion, convincing mm -hmm. people. We have to move people from one place to another, right? Uh, whether you're trying to date someone, right? They don't know me. I have to introduce myself, right? So now they we move them from uh, them not knowing me to knowing me, yeah. and then I have to get them to like me, right? I have to get them. They don't know me now. They know me, and then they don't like me. So now I've got to get them to like me to go on a second date. So I've got to move them from one category to the next, from not liking me to liking me, yep. from liking me to loving me, right? This is the same thing when a, a kid wants the keys to the parent's car, or when you want to convince someone to come in to dine at your restaurant, right? And this goes back to all of those marketing fundamentals, right? You got to make sure they know you. You got to make sure they like you and they're open to trying you. And then you got to get them to trust you enough to come in and as Daniel Pink says throughout this book, it's just about moving them from one place to another, right? Not yeah. knowing you to knowing you, not liking you, not being open to it to being open, uh, trusting that it's going to be a great meal. It's going to be worth their money, right? You, you got to move them over there. And, and if you think of it again, you talked about simplicity. If you, if you put it in simplistic terms, um, it becomes much easier to compartmentalize what you're doing. Yeah. I mean, the, the thing that I'm always fascinated with, and I'm fascinated with it on my own journey is the perception that I've had 
to different social media platforms as we've grown our business. So when we first opened our business, my one of my best friends, Corey Robinson, who we opened up the sports bar together, we had a dream to you know start this restaurant together. We were doing all kinds of different marketing. We were literally failing at paying our bills. We were failing at trying to figure out, you know, where we're going to lose all of our money in this business. But specifically Facebook, we were roommates. And even as roommates, he was on Facebook and I was making fun of him for being on Facebook. Literally, I was making jokes about him being on Facebook, talking like, oh, you're trying to pick up girls on Facebook. What are you doing? Why are you wasting your time? We're trying to run a business. We're trying to get people to come into our restaurant. And it was this aha moment where Facebook started Facebook pages and literally it was out of desperation. So out of sheer desperation, it wasn't, oh, I'm going to go learn Facebook and master Facebook. It was, I'm going to claim the Facebook page because it's free yep. and because I can post a photo to it. I can post an event to it. I can let people know about our restaurant and about our platform. Can you tell me a little bit about your, your own digital hospitality journey, your own smartphone technology, oh shit moments is what we kind of like to call them. Yeah, you know, it's so interesting because when you talk about the early days of social media there, um, I think the danger is for from me, for me, myself, the, the business I have, the clients I work with, the operators I get to speak with, is that we don't adapt as an industry, right? That yeah. most other industries are at the forefront, are using social media the way it's meant to be used, right? The, the way it's most efficiently, most effectively used. And restaurants, operators, because we got a hundred other things to worry about on any given day. And I, and I get that. But for me, it's been about that evolution. It's been about understanding, you know, how best to use it. So for example, um, it was really great back in 2014, 15, 16, right? You post a photo, you get a thousand likes, everybody loves yep. it, right? That doesn't work anymore. And yet right. most operators are still doing it. Um, uh, I, I'm guilty of it because certain operators that I work with want to keep doing that, yes. but it's not. Now, it's are we video. talking we Facebook specific? Are we talking Instagram? What are we talking? So let's Both. talk about uh, that's Facebook and Instagram. I mean, yeah, listen, correct. same companies, different algorithms, but built very similarly. Yep. You know, now, uh, and now certainly with, uh, with Instagram, it's, it used to be IGTV a year and a half ago, and now it's, now it's reels. They're really coming after TikTok, and they're trying to do short snackable, highly engaging, um, entertainment to get you on the platform, to get you to stay on the platform, to get you scrolling. So the other piece to it is that as Facebook and Instagram have grown, uh, they've limited reach, right? Yep. And we know this, we hear this. And so, but let's internalize this. Back when you're talking about 2007, 2008, the golden days, right? The, the golden era of, um, uh, of certainly businesses being on Facebook, you could post something, it was seen by 3,000 people. It was liked by 800, yep. right? And inevitably what happened because Facebook uh, and thereby uh, Instagram has a real estate problem, they can only put so many things there. They can, they can only show you so many things. They can only show me so many things. And so mm -hmm. they get really judicious. That's the algorithm. The algorithm is built to show you things that you're most apt to like, that, that, that are most apt to keep you on the platform. So that's a really important distinction. They're not showing you things that are the most engaging, the things that you are most apt to like. They're showing you things that the average user that are most likely to keep you on the app. So yep. that's neither good, good nor bad. That just is. Their job, Facebook's job, is to keep users on Facebook 
because the longer time they spend on Facebook, the more ads they can show them, the more ads they can show them, the more revenue that company generates. It's really important to understand how that business operates so that we can figure out how to operate our businesses there. And this has been, um, this has been a real journey for a lot of operators and in me trying to help operators see this. So I tell you all of that to say that it is a pay to play for businesses. Yes. If you're not paying, you are not playing. You're showing your content to 45 people, to 110 people, and who cares? You don't have to pay, but you're not getting the full benefit of it. You can pay very little, all things considered, you know, a hundred bucks a month, a couple hundred bucks a month. You don't need to carve out a $5,000, $10,000 budget. Yeah. But these days, I think you have to be paying and you have to have a very specific goal in mind when you go to pay for something, what you're doing. It can't, you can't just say, hey, we got a really good burger photo. Let's post a good burger photo. The hope is, right? And this is that field of dreams thing. If I build it, they will come. If I post it, they will come. If I post a photo of a burger that looks juicy and delicious enough, surely people will come in. That does not work. That is not true. It's, it's more complicated than that. That will work if, as part of a larger ecosystem, but on its own, very few people, certainly not enough to pay your bills, very few people will see the burger and say, that looks great. Let's go there tonight. Let's go there this weekend. So the platforms have evolved and changed, and we keep failing to evolve with them. So I'd love, I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you specifically about profile photos. Why yeah. are profile photos important? So profile photos for me go back to like logo recognition, right? The reason that Nike puts the swoosh on the side of every shoe, the reason Apple puts the Apple on the back of the um, every laptop. For me, it's about recognition over and over and over again. So if you've got a striking color, if you, I mean, listen, you're sitting here wearing a, a toast hat right now. <laughs> that orange, right? The orange color is synonymous with toast. Um, that little outline, the silhouette of the piece of toast, right? That's very, very recognizable. Um, I think uh, an identifiable color, an identifiable logo, make sure they match all across your profiles on every single, um, every single platform, uh, I think is really important. Why is that because, important? Because it's recognition. You want people to see it and understand right away. Oh, well, I you also want to know when somebody's on Clubhouse and then they follow you on Instagram, they want to be following the right chip. It's the same thing as with a landing page, right? If I send you an ad on Facebook and it's a, and the ad copy and the ad image, when I, when people click through and go to the landing page, wherever I'm sending them, you gotta make sure it matches. So build your landing page first yeah. and then make an ad that matches that because people wanna know that they wound up in the right place, right? If, you, if you're looking at one thing and you go, oh wait, am I the right, is this the right chip close? Is this the right, is this the right barbecue? I know there's a San Diego barbecue, is this, the the Cali barbecue and they want to know that they that they are where they're supposed to be that where they intended to click correct I think it's so important it's something that isn't talked about enough we need to talk about it more on on this podcast but uh, obviously we want you claiming all of your social media pages so that's from TikTok to LinkedIn to Instagram to Facebook to you name it we want you personally as the business owner to claim your page to have a professional profile photo 
so that people can recognize you. And so that when people search for you on LinkedIn, your name actually shows up the same way that it shows up on Instagram. And it's not, you know, some ridiculous emails back to, you know, having a professional email address is kind of the same idea. Um, but these things are important because as you build your brand and as you build your credibility, they become new opportunities, opportunities that restaurant owners, small business owners, you wouldn't think that you would have until you start telling your stories on all these different platforms. Can you tell me a little bit about reaching out of your comfort zone and starting a podcast and starting on uh, your clubhouse journey? Yeah. So uh, they're great questions. Uh, my podcast, uh, so I should go back and say my po podcast was to scratch an itch. Uh, that, that I wanted. I, I was working with a lot of operators and I was uh, fielding the same questions. I was dealing with the same issues over and over and over again. And I just thought I'm getting into arguments. I'm, I'm getting, uh, you know, uh, I'm having frustrating uh, interactions with people. And I think I can put a lot of this to bed if I can just tell a lot more people about it. Right. So for me, it was just scratching an own itch. It was also for me, I mean, you know, this, right. There, there's that old, I don't know if it was William Styron who wrote this and said, you know, how do I know what I think until I write? Like I yeah. have to write to know what I think I have ideas, but writing the podcast, sitting down and, and committing uh, to doing content once a week really forced me to get clear on what I believed, what I thought, which helped my uh, coaching be that much better. My consulting, all of, all of that stuff. So for me, the podcast was, uh, I challenged myself to say, Hey, I'm just going to do it for a year. Uh, famously in the beginning, I said, I'm going to do 30 episodes. I'm going to do 30 episodes, 30 weeks in a row. And at the end of that, if it doesn't work, if I'm not enjoying it, if it doesn't catch on, then that's it. I'm done. But I'm, I'm going to commit myself to doing it because, and I, I spend a lot of time talking about productivity and I talk about systems and goals, which is super, super important for operators to think about, right? So I talk a lot about uh, Peter Drucker. Peter Drucker famously coined this term called SMART goals in 1981, uh, that every goal you set for yourself needs to uh, be SMART, S-M-A-R-T. It's an acronym. It stands for Specific measurable, attainable, relevant, and time-bound, right? That it's not wishy-washy. It's not, oh, I need more covers. No, no, no. On what nights? How many more covers, right? Oh, I need more covers on Monday nights. Okay, how many more covers? Well, we're doing about 100 covers, so we'll do 200. No, no, no. Let's, let's increase by 20%. Let's go from 100 to 120. Certainly better than doubling your numbers, right? So then it's specific, which therefore it's measurable, it's attainable, right? Because we can, we can say, okay, we can do 20% more, right? That's certainly, I think, within our capabilities. So it's specific, measurable, attainable, it's relevant, except actually it's not. And this is where I, this is, I say, you don't need 20 more covers. You need 20% more revenue. So it's really important to note that there's more than one way to make revenue. Yes, maybe just getting more butts and seats is the easiest way there, but you can also increase the average spend. You can find a more creative way. Maybe it's uh, more beneficial to just close on a Monday and rent it out for a pop-up or to close on Monday and just do takeout or whatever it is you need. So, oh, it's not relevant. Oh, okay, so more covers isn't relevant. So we make it specific, measurable, attainable, relevant. We change it from uh, covers to revenue. And then time-bound, we say uh, over the course of Q4, we're gonna measure this by the end of Q4, we want on average to be doing 20% more revenue on Monday nights. Now I tell you all that because that was a goal I set for myself, right? I'm going to do 30 episodes in a row every single week, uh, all of that. The other piece to this systems and goals thing is that I said, okay, at the end, even if I fail 
at the podcast, if nobody listens, if it's not very good, if I don't enjoy it, fine. By the end, I will have put a system in place for writing, recording, editing, and publishing a podcast episode every week. I will have learned how to produce a podcast, how to publish a podcast. Because in the back of my head, I thought, you know what? No restaurants are doing this. And I think in a couple of years, all restaurants are going to want to do this and should be doing this, which I still very much believe when we can get into that. But I just thought- (laughs) We will get into that. (laughs) I just thought, okay, by the end of this, even if I fail at my goals, I will have succeeded in putting a system in place, right? For carving out time to write, for editing, for learning how to do all this. So you asked my podcasting journey. For me, it was twofold. It was, there were goals I wanted to achieve with no expectations, but there were goals I set, specific, measurable goals. Um, And then there were systems that I put into place that I knew would help me even if I failed to reach my goals. And that is absolutely true. And now the, the podcast has taken on a life of its own, and the beauty of it is that I can say, you know, I put my mouth, my money where my mouth is. I'm always talking to operators about coming up with systems and goals, systems and goals, um, and getting really clear on those things. I say, hey, listen, it worked for me. This is, it totally changed, changed my life. That's the podcast. The other thing you were talking about was Clubhouse, and I tripped on it quite accidentally. I didn't know what it was, and I fell into it. And over the course of like four days, I fell in love with it, and I just thought, this is awesome because it's half podcast, right? People talking out and having an audience and sharing knowledge and insights. But then it's also like talk radio where you yep. can ask questions, right? You can uh, interview. It's like a, like a for It can be a forum style. It can be a community, which it is a community, which if there's any industry that needs community, it is this one. It's, it's the, uh, the restaurant industry because we're all facing the same problems. We're all in totally different markets. And there are very few people that we are actually competing with. I think if you thought of your competitors for Cali barbecue, it would be a very short list, right? You are more, I mean, we don't, we don't, we, we believe a rising tide lifts all ships. We don't, I mean, we bring in barbecue restaurants that are a mile away from our restaurant, Coops, West Texas, barbecue, Valley farm market. And yeah. we literally put all the barbecue restaurants in front of our restaurant to support the growth of all barbecue. So we don't totally. view them at competition at all. Collaboration. We're, we're, and competition. No one, no one, no one has our story. Literally nobody. So it isn't that, and that gets to the heart of it. Right. And I always say this, People are so afraid of their competitors. I said, they are more your collaborators than they are your competitors. You just have to see it that way. I mean, so much of what I talk about on the show is about changing these mindset shifts. If you just change the way you think of the other people in your community. And so I think we can actually help each other way more than we've ever well, that's done. That's one and of the powers of podcasting. Is that's podcasting, right. It is an open door, an open invitation to learn someone else's story not to waste their time, but to actually add value, not just for the two people that are having the conversation, but to give a seat at the table to anyone, literally anyone on earth that has internet connection, they can listen to the story and it can make an impact on them. It can inspire them to, you know, upgrade their technology in their restaurant, to start posting videos on TikTok, to start to build a community because these we're building on the backs of giants. We don't have to create the technology. It's right there in our pocket. If we're fortunate enough to have an iPhone or an Android, I mean, 4k capability, 6k. I mean, I don't even like the iPhone 13s come out and I don't even know what the features are. I just know they're phenomenal. Yeah. I know that it's phenomenal. (laughs) Here's the beauty of it though, is we joked around that restaurants are always last to the table. The beauty of that, you know, is that the, the technology is already out there. It's been tested. It exists in other industries. Yes. We all we have to do is look across the hall, look across, look down the street, see what other people are doing, see what other industries are doing. 
and copy it, right? That Josh Coppola always talks about this, about how, you know, patterning, right? This idea that mm-hmm. like, find out what works, figure out how to make it work for you. How do we ad- adopt it and adapt it for our market, for our circumstances, for our concept. And that's the beauty of all this. I mean, we spend so much time talking about technology. I spend an outsized amount of my time talking about how we can be using technology to make better restaurants, right? More profitable restaurants, more um, engaging entertainment. I mean, just literally better restaurants. Um, And the beauty of it is, is that the technology is there and other people have been using it for a long time. We We can just adopt it and adapt it. Well, one of the beauties is, is, I mean, it goes back to the thesis is that every business needs to be in the hospitality business. So even though the hospitality business might be late to adopt technology, nobody does hospitality. No one cares about humans the way that we do. It's literally a competitive advantage because every business needs to do it and they don't know how to do it. Yep. If you can do it in real life and you can learn how to do it online on all these different platforms, take care of the person the same way that you take care of someone that walks into your restaurant, if you can take care of that anonymous person that's on Yelp that wrote a review, whether it's good or negative, if you know how to take care of them, learn how to take care of them with words, learn how to take care of them with photos, learn how to take care of them with video, learn how to take care of them with audio. And all of a sudden you've created all these oh shit moments, these memorable moments where people are going to go and share your story to everybody else because they can't believe it. And it here, seems so simple, right? Uh, and and it, it is. And there's a difference between simple and easy, right? That yes. like it is simple. It's not easy to do. So, and I totally get that. You, of course, get this. Um, I was just going to say that uh, that hospitality. So one of the key tenets of modern marketing, you know, ever since like the 70s, I'll say, is this idea of empathy, right? Putting yourselves in another person's shoes. And and this is where I will depart a little bit. I think we lost a little bit of focus as an industry about really understanding what the guest wants, what they need, not so much what we think they should have or what we want them to have, but actually finding out what they need and supplying that with them, right? So we were talking about the iPhone, right? The iPhone has revolutionized your life, my life, the world. And Steve Jobs wasn't trying to make a better phone. Steve Jobs had the vision in like whatever, 2000, 2001. He said, I see the way the world is going. I think there's going to come a time when people will need to be more connected than they currently are. They'll need to be so connected, they'll need a computer in their pocket. And the problem was, he said, everyone has a cell phone in their pocket. They're not going to carry two devices. So he said, well, the only place I can tuck this thing, this computer is in a phone. So famously, he didn't set out to make a better phone. He set out to give everybody a computer in their pocket. A pocket computer was how we used to talk about it in memos. And he just, the, the thing that they ran up against, he said, no one's going to carry two things in their pockets. It's just not going to happen. He said, okay, then figure out how to make this also be a phone. It was an afterthought. The only way to get it into people's pockets was to make it a phone, to replace what they already have. But he saw the problem. The problem that we didn't even realize we were going to have is that there was going to be a time where we needed to be way more connected than we could have ever imagined. So he didn't say, I created this awesome thing, come get it. He said, I know what you need or what you are going to need very soon. Come get it because this is the solution to what your problem is going to be or the problem that you may already be feeling. It's the same thing in hospitality. The beauty is that we have the infrastructure to be able to do that, to take care of people, to hug them, to feed them, to, to make them laugh, to, you know, to, to help them celebrate, right? So we have the infrastructure there. And I want us all to get better at just asking the question, but what do they need? How am I uniquely qualified to provide them with that? 
So how are you uniquely qualified to provide restaurant owners what they need five years from now? So it's a great question. Uh, I think restaurant owners suffer from overwhelm. Yep. Um, and I say that with the most, um, with the most generosity and humility well, possible. We burn the candle on both ends. I mean, we're classic. We're, uh, we don't take care of ourselves. We take care of our communities. We take care of the people that are around us. It, it's, it's, totally. in our, it's in our nature to ignore ourselves. We're the so, lot, we, we take care of ourselves last. We, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think a little bit what happens is that people, right? There's this old thing, right? We spend so much time working in our business. We have no time to work on our business. Certainly, I think uh, many operators are guilty of that in one degree or another. And a lot of times what I talk about, so I talk about profitability. How do we build a more profitable restaurant? And before I do that, I say, wait, wait, wait. Why do we need to build a more profitable restaurant? It's an exercise I do with my clients. I say, first, give me your number. What do you want? Or I say, look 12 months in the future. What do you want? for yourself, your life, your business. What kind of money do you want to be making? What, did you, what do you want your day-to-day -to, -day to look like? And almost across the board, when they let themselves go there, when they close their eyes and really think about it, they say, I want to be out of my business. I don't want to be doing the day-to-day -day grind yeah. in the operations. Yeah. I love this restaurant. I love being here. I love taking care of it. But I don't want this place to, have to, to need me in order to succeed, in order to survive. Is it great? That's okay. So a big part of what I do is getting people to acknowledge that just pulling yourself out of the day-to-day -day operations is number one, good. It's okay. And it's actually the responsible thing to do. So before we talk about profitability, I like to talk about why profitability matters. It matters for those reasons. And it's different for everybody. I find that a lot of operators uh, are telling me that they want to remove themselves from the day-to-day. -day, um, and I help them see that. And then we can go and say, great, because now you can manifest that. Now you've got something really strong uh, to focus on. Say, I need to do this so I can accomplish this, this, and this. So I can go to soccer games. So I can help my kid with their homework. So I can golf more. So I can go watch the football game, whatever that is, right? I, I don't want this place to have to be open. I want to be able to go watch the football game if I want to. And if I want to just watch it here from the restaurant, great. It is your choice. So profitability matters. Why profitability matters is even more important. And I help people see that, right? And so then I can help them set goals that get them there. I can help them put systems in place that will ensure that they're going to hit those goals, or at the very least, like I was telling you about my podcasting, that we're going to learn from the process by putting those systems into place, and we will be better for it. And then there are all different things. Having worked in a ton of different restaurants, um, there are just things that we can do that a lot of people don't do. The number of operators I talk to uh, that don't have uh, recipe costing, right? That don't cost out every single one of their recipes. And I get it. It's a lot of work. It's a really nitpicky job and, and it's miserable, but you know, it's, it's Inventory too miserable. is miserable too, but it has to be done it on a weekly done. basis. On right. a weekly and basis, it's got to be done. It's got to get counted. Totally. One I mean, the, I it just, was one of the hardest things for us to, to figure out. And totally. you have to have recipes. Yeah, 100%. Totally. Or, but inventory, right? There still needs to be mm -hmm. checks, but there still needs to be a system. Uh, one, of my, um, uh, one of my clients just the other day, crazy weekend. They, they, uh, their restaurant's in a college town. And it was, uh, it was parents' weekend this past weekend. And they ran out of bacon at Saturday at like 3.15. So they still had another hour and a half about of brunch. And they had Sunday, which is like the biggest brunch. And they were like, well, we have it all automated with the, the inventory. I said, but you don't have a system in place. Who goes and looks at the thing? Who gets alerted? Did you set up an alert to alert a, a CDC, the executive chef? The, 
who is checking that alert when they say, oh, we're, you're running out of the, you know, you bought, brought this many, pro, this much product in and you've now gone through, you've now sold enough that I think you're running low. PARs are only so good. You, you have to check the PARs. Correct. So, Correct. and I said, you know, the computer can only do so much. Computer doesn't know it's a home game for college. Computer not, doesn't not know it's it will. parents weekend. <laughs> <But> it, will. <laughs> it, it will, but at the very least, you need a system in place. So that's correct. We do all that. And we, and same thing, same thing on the marketing side as well. So again, we deal with operations and marketing. I say all the time, they're all marketing problems. They just can't be solved with marketing. They have to be solved operationally um, because you can't, you know, send the email. That's going to be so great. That's going to fill your restaurant on Tuesday night. You got to create a menu that's compelling enough, um, engaging enough uh, to bring people back that people rave about that people want to take pictures of that people want to tell their friends about right that and then I just need to tell them via the email about the really great menu we put together it's it's two sides of the coin that's what that's what I do I help people set goals uh, achieve their goals put systems in place processes in place to accomplish that and I just find that me being there to help them bring a little objectivity to the to the table lowers their overwhelm and they've got like, they got somebody on their side. They say, oh yeah, I always wanted to do this, but I didn't, I didn't know how to start, right? Starting with an email marketing program, an SMS text program, uh, you know, how to overhaul their website, how to, you know, bring in uh, online ordering, all these things, they're just systems. They just have to compartmentalize them one at a time, do them one at a time and then figure out how to integrate them. Yeah. I love the fact that you talked about, you know, working in your restaurant versus working on your restaurant and, you know, as an owner operator and somebody that it was a badge of honor to work, you know, 90 hours, work, work until my eyes bleed and work seven days a week, you know, be there for every single event, open, clopen, do whatever you had to do yeah. until, and you know, until I had a family, you know, once I had my son and I realized, you know, if I really want to grow the media side of this business and not just be selling barbecue every single day and opening, you know, on Saturday and Sunday, I've got to remove myself from the manager schedule. And like, until I had that, you know, my own epiphany, my own verbalization of what I wanted, which was, I don't want to be on the manager schedule anymore, which is a very difficult thing to do. You know, because it's you very do. It difficult is a badge because of honor. you feel guilty. Yeah. Like, what God, kind of owner isn't that amazing be? to me? It's ridiculous. That we right? do. We feel guilty. Operators feel guilty. Like, right. And there is that feeling. Yep. I don't want to ask anyone do something that I'm not, that I myself am not willing or capable to do. But it's okay that even if you're capable and willing that you don't do it all the time because the reality is, and you know this, is that you're going to be better for your restaurant. You're going to be able to better serve your restaurant if you can remove yourself and take a bird's eye view. If you can bring a little objectivity, if you can get some sleep, you're going to be able to think about the really hard things, which is going to help you better serve the customers, which is going to help you uh, generate more money for the people you employ, which is going to help you grow the business as you certainly know now as you're growing the business, which means uh, more coming in, more staff, you can help more people, you're putting food on more people's plates, both your customers and your staff. That's not possible unless you have the time to sit back and say, great, what's the problem, right? And so that's the, that's the, uh, the exercise I do almost immediately. Like, we want to make a more profitable restaurant. We want to get more people in here. We want to improve our social media. We want to improve. Why? Why do we want to do all that? Once mm -hmm. we have that really clear, like you just said, I need to, I need to get myself out of the the day to day. We nail that to the wall, and man, there's not that's in your gut. You feel that, 
And you look up at the wall and you look at that and say, oh, great. That's why I'm doing this. That's why we're going to cost out the whole recipe. That's why we're going to, you fill in the blank to achieve well, that. What's goal. even, what's even more powerful is once we get back to sales and marketing, ultimately who's going to sell your story better than you. Once yeah. you remove yourself, once, I mean, if I'm honest, when I was on the schedule at the end of my managerial career, I was the shittiest manager on the schedule because I was still the owner. I was still doing all the other things I was trying to do. I was still trying to grow, trying to put on different barbecue events, trying to do all these different things, trying to start our podcast, do all these different things. And I wasn't even doing the bare minimum of the manager yeah. task. Yep. And once I realized that I realized, well, I can't do, I can't do it all. Like it's literally I can't do it all. And it's a in it's a disservice to my team. It's a disservice to my customers. It's a disservice to all the time, blood, sweat, and tears that I put into this business for me to continue to try to do it and to convince myself that I'm good enough to do it. Totally, uh, it's so it's so true, right? And it just it it drops down into such a in such a profound place. Again, this, uh, it, yeah. I mean, no no more needs to be said on it. it it's so it's so true. So where, where do we go? If, if someone's listening to this podcast, they own a restaurant, they own a business, a small business, and, or maybe they're even launching a business. Hopefully these words are words of, of, of what is to come. And hopefully you can figure out a way to build in what you want your, your, your work life to look like moving forward. Because literally, if you're listening to this podcast, you're like we say all the time, you're part of the rising tide. You're curious, you're getting involved, you're doing things that so many other people aren't willing to do. They're literally just going through the motions in life. If you listen to podcasts, if you listen to Chip's podcast, this podcast, other industry podcasts, well, whoever you listen to, whatever books you're reading, you're doing it because you want to sharpen the saw and you want to be better. And in order to be better, we know that we always can improve just a little bit, 1% every single day. People that are listening to this podcast, Chip, what, what would you tell them? What do you see coming up in the future for storytelling? And how can they really make an impact on getting out of what the day-to-day -day minutia is and getting into the more big idea, utilizing this Steve Jobs tool that we have in our pocket, yep. utilizing all these different storytelling platforms, utilizing podcasting, Clubhouse to, to really amplify their message and to create, like I said, we, when we started this opportunity, we were one of 20. There's, there's 50,000 restaurants that have toast, which is only 6% of the market. There are so many restaurants that will have toast, yet we were so privileged and so honored to be invited there. Yet no matter what business you're in, you can start creating content in a way that no one else is doing. Everybody needs content. Yeah. People don't talk about B2B social media, but B2B social media is storytelling at its best. Totally. Because it's very hard to create content around technology. But guess what? The technology companies, they need, they need your story as a business owner of how do you use it? Why do you totally. use it? What problem are you solving for them? Here's how I look at this whole thing, right? So we talk about technology and I spend a lot of time, as you do, talking about technology, all these solutions. They're the same problems we've always had. We've got problems and now there are technological solutions to this. That's why I'm frustrated. That's why you get frustrated when people aren't using these solutions, right? For example, table ordering, as you guys have famously yes. uh, you know, put in, ordering and kiosk pay. service. One of the biggest things that kills restaurants is labor, the labor cost. It takes it because it's ours is a handmade art. It's a handmade thing. People got to prep it. People got to make it. People got to serve it. People got to clean it, clear it. There's people everywhere. And that's great. It's a really great part of our industry. And yet, Minimum wage keeps going up, uh, food, everything goes up. 
And so I think we, one of the big problems that we've had, certainly there in California, here in New York City, very high minimum wage, right? We've got a labor problem, right? Labor, we have to charge so much for our food. And there are now technological solutions in people's hands. That's really where we're going. I think five years from now, this resistance to table ordering, this resistance <clears throat> to, to tablets, to kiosks, we're going to laugh at it. Because let me tell you what's going to happen. Outback. Chili's, Applebee's, Red Lobster, all of these chains are going to do it because they're going to go, oh my God, one of my clients literally over the, the pandemic went to table ordering, cut his labor in half from yep. 31% to 15, so more than half, yep. 15%, and which it goes back to the beginning. He said, oh my God, I did one thing, which I, I kind of had to because I couldn't find staff. And that got me to the number. That's that profitability, right? Why do we need a profitable place? So he could remove himself from the business so that he could close certain hours, blah, blah, blah. He said, I hit my why and I hit my profitability number by doing one thing. And when the world started coming back, he went back to the way it was. He said, I, I don't think people want to do that anymore. I don't think people want to order. And, and I think people are going to be pissed. And he did that for about three or four months. And we sat on calls and I said, all I was hearing was your exuberance at having solved this problem. Yes. this profitability problem, and you discovered the solution or a solution to it, and now you're ignoring it, which is fine. If you really think you're going to aggravate your guests, I said, but I think it's in how you present it to them. I think it's the hospitality that it's wrapped up in, right? So it's not like, here you go, good luck, but how do we really make sure that they feel in enabled and empowered to use the technology to give themselves a better experience? If you want right. another drink, open up your phone and order another drink. You don't have to find the bus boy to go try and find the server who's at another table or running food. And just, if you're ready for another drink, just order another drink. For me, the, the data is already clear on what kiosk service has done to huge brands like McDonald's, right? That's yep. well-documented. Yep. Uh, it's now becoming very obvious that table ordering uh, really has the power to create a better guest experience and make a more profitable restaurant. I've seen it. I've looked at the data. I've looked at the PLs before and after, and, and I know it works and I know there's a way to roll it out. That is the future. And if anybody is resisting this, now it's not right for every business, fine dining, right? You're still going to want to go and get pampered and have everybody, people there doing every little piece of it. So I acknowledge that there's going to be some restaurants that need to do it, but I would say 85% of the restaurants in this country do not fall into this fine dining 150, 200, $300 a head nightly experience. They're $20 a head, $40 a head, $60 a head. And I think everything at that threshold and below should be looking at incorporating table ordering, kiosk service, tablets on the table, some version of that, because that is what will save our restaurants literally overnight. Uh, you got to be prepared for it. You have to know how to implement it and, and you can't underestimate it, but it will literally change the business overnight. It's going to change the industry overnight when people adopt it. Oh, it's, I mean, it couldn't be more timely in the fact that you've already addressed something that is so true to near and dear to this podcast and what we talk about all the time. You already addressed what was Steve Jobs' problem. I mean, he wanted to put a computer in your pocket. Sure. Literally, it's been solved. There's computers in everyone's pocket. So why do and we need another computer? Why do we need another computer in the restaurant for a server to take that order and go put it into a different computer that goes to the back of the house? When totally. literally and doesn't it, and the problem doesn't it has demean, been solved. And doesn't it demean the people who work for you, right? The yes, server. The correct. server's job, I'd say more than half of their job 
is listening to things, copying it down, and then regurgitating it into the computer in the corner. Correct. There's a better, that's a waste because I can, I'm more than capable on my phone or the iPad you put on the table or the, the kiosk, the, whatever it is, I, the consumer, the guest is more than capable of just plugging it in or, Hey, listen, I'm going to have my six-year-old son do it because that's cool. That's fun. He already is better at, at, at the iPads than any of us are. And then we free up the servers. If we release them from that tedious task of just copying things down and regurgitating to the computer, then we free them up. And here's the whole key to the ball game. This is what I'm working on. We free those people up to do the things that we actually want them to do on the floor, in their stations, exuding hospitality, guiding people through, talking people through, uh, getting second beverage sales, pouring off that bottle of wine, refilling water, refilling bread, actually there to do the things that we need the human beings to do. We no longer need the human beings to copy something down and to regurgitate it in the computer. We got it. Steve Jobs put a computer, as you said, in all of our pockets. So let's let the computers do what the computers do. And plus, by the way, we can optimize better Right. So when you optimize a computer experience, uh, a yep. table ordering experience, Correct. right. Say, Hey, we, uh, we talked about this when you were on the podcast. Hey, I want a burger. Boom. Would you like avocado and jalapeno? You know, lots of people love that. I go, Oh, I would have never thought about that. Sure. But sure. 75 cents and a dollar 25. So they're selling every step of the way in a, in a non-confrontational way. It's a little pop-up that says, would you like to add this? Would you like to do fries? Would you like large instead of medium? Would you like to, it's just, and the computer is just offering it, right? We don't get upset that the uh, computer is upselling us, but that's what the computer is doing. The computer yes. is just upselling us every step of the way. The computer can do it better than a person can do. Because if a person, if a server is taking an order and every single thing out of the guest's mouth they're offering an upsell. They're offering an additional thing. They're offering, you're going, man, this person's really, really pushy. This person's really salesy. I feel I'm not comfortable. But when mm -hmm. a computer does it, you're like, ah, oh, whatever. Because we're used to them doing it on every website that we're, ever, that we're ever shopping on, right? It's like, would you like that? Would you like that? People who bought this also like this. We're used to it. And again, the data is clear that the computers, that this table uh, ordering, this kiosk service drives 15% more revenue than if we do it the regular way, the old way. Why, oh, why wouldn't we do that? If we can, if the computer can drive more revenue and then we free up the server to do the things the server can do, which is, you know, pour off a bottle of wine. There's no computer that can pour off a bottle of wine, but if we can get them to be there, to, to be in their station, to see when that wine needs to be poured off, to see when the martini's just about done, to see when they're just kind of playing with their ice, the ice that's left in the cocktail, then you can come up, right? Casually say, yeah, are you just about ready for another cocktail? Can I go ahead and bring you another one? Should I bring another one in for you? Can I, can I bring another bottle for the table? That's where they make, that's where they can help drive more revenue and make a better guest experience. Have you used the Starbucks app? I have. And what are your opinions about it? I haven't used it in quite a while because I live in New York City and we're basically shut in still. Okay. Um, tell me about it. What, so what the reason you... why I'm bringing it up is so I there's two Starbucks in where in my neighborhood. So in East Lake where I live and one of them has a drive through and the other one doesn't have a drive through. So I've been going to the one with the drive through, but it's very busy. You know, even whenever I go, it's it's just a pack. It's busy. It's not a problem for me because I'm always listening to podcasts. 
but I decided since we host a digital hospitality podcast, maybe I should download the Starbucks app and see what Starbucks is doing because I've downloaded the McDonald's app. I've downloaded the Chipotle yep. app. And if you love digital hospitality, if you love these solutions that we're talking about, you have to see what the biggest players are doing because they are revolutionizing what as independents, people, companies like Toast will help us to be able to do. Starbucks, I download the app and I drop my kids off at daycare. So I have a four-year-old and two-year-old, my son, my daughter, I drop them off at daycare. There's the closer Starbucks doesn't have a drive-through, but I download the app. It's literally two football fields away from the daycare. I download the app. I put in all my information. I order my, my drink and I go and I pick it up. They have, they're doing three times the volume of the Starbucks that has the drive-through yeah. because of this digital ordering. Yep. So not only is my drink ready, I get it faster than I would if I went through the drive through, but even more powerful than that is that they've built in loyalty into the app so that if you buy a gift card for $25, you can, every time that you use that gift card, you get two to one rewards points. So I don't even care about loyalty. I don't care about getting a free <laughs> coffee, but I'm literally already giving Starbucks $25. I'm on a subscription yep. to Starbucks. Yeah. Like they hooked me. <laughs> And know? like, I'm not even a Starbucks advocate. I'm not flying the flag, but that digital hospitality yeah. experience is such an oh shit experience they for me. They made it better. They you made it better. Do you, so you know, it's really funny. This is what I, think I want about. that for barbecue. I want people to give us buy gift cards and we will reward them ahead of yeah. time. Yep. Yep. So, you know, it's really funny. So back in 2019, uh, my family and I, we went to Paris and while we were there, my son was four at the time. We said we would take him to Disneyland Paris while we were there. Cause he, he did so many like museums and, and like fancy meals. And like, he was such <laughs> yeah. a good trooper and he loved it. We had a blast, but we just thought at the end, we'll reward him with like a total kid's day. Right. And the experience there that day uh, specifically uh, with the food service was a nightmare. When it came time for lunch, we tried to let the, the lunch rush or the lunch crush passes by. So we went to get food at like, I don't know, two, two 30 yep. in the afternoon. We were online for over an hour because it was a crush and you came in, it was almost like going to the tolls and then you got in, you, you like placed your order and you paid your money and then they pushed you through the toll. And it was like when everybody has to like merge onto the interstate and then you're waiting at the pickup windows. So there was like a line of registers and then you pushed through the line of registers and then there was a line of pickup windows. And that was the thing that was in 2019. We lost over an hour out of the park, not spending wow. money out there, just waiting to order our crappy burger, crappy fries, crappy soda. Right. Fast forward now, just a couple of weeks ago, I went to visit my brother who uh, lives out in Los Angeles while we were there. Again, we took my, uh, my son to all these really boring things, you know, like, you know, the Huntington to go through the botanic gardens. And we did all this like really great stuff. We rewarded him by taking him to Disneyland. Now, partially because of COVID, they have completely digitized the experience. The app that they have when you go to the park, it's basically like you got to download the app. Yes. The app is how you get on the virtual queue for some of the rides. The app is how you see the wait time. So if it's between this one and this one, let's go to the one with a, with a lesser lime. But you can also order your food from anywhere in the park, any place. You say, hey, we're going to go to It's a Small World. How Wait, you don't need over? a server to do that? Dude, you hold your phone. <laughs> you order your stuff. You can even go through and yes. say, oh, that place has this kind of food. This place has this kind of food. What are, you, what are you in the mood for? But we could go. We could order our food. It sits there. We hit submit. We say, hey, let's go to And it says, great. Let us know when you're here, and we'll, uh, we'll put the finishing touches on it or whatever they say. 
And so we ordered the food. We went into It's a Small World. We're coming off. I hit the thing. I said, great, your food will be ready in three minutes at the window. They're really, they're really pushing you to not even place your order at the register. Correct. The, the fools who were waiting at the register who were in line for 20, 25 minutes, um, I was like, what are you doing? Meanwhile, the pickup window, so there's like four registers and then 12 pickup windows. You order it on the app and you just tell. And so we're there, we pick it up, we eat in 15 minutes and we're back out in the park. Uh, guess what? Spending more money. The more Correct. time we can be in the park, the more time we're spending money on shirts, on t-shirts, on candy, on ice cream, on more food. It's like just watching what that company learned in two years time or less than two years. It's unbelievable. It was really cool to see. Well, it's super exciting. And it's one of the reasons why I love having people like you, but this has been an incredible conversation, Chip. And I, I love the fact that we met on Clubhouse. Um, I'm upset that I didn't get to see you in New York, but I know I'll be out in New York again for a trip. Um, and whenever you make it back to the West Coast, um, we'll definitely meet up again. Uh, every single Friday at 10 a.m. Uh, Pacific time, we do our digital hospitality room. So Chip will be on there. Um, I'm already inviting him over this podcast. He's agreeing to it. <laughs> um, <laughs> I look forward to it. So once his episode is published, then we will uh, have him on that Friday. So you guys can ask him questions. Uh, Chip, what's the best way for people to find you and your podcast? Yeah. So Restaurant Strategy is the name of the podcast. You can get it anywhere you find uh, your podcast. You can visit our website, restaurantstrategypodcast.com. Uh, there's a big link right up front. If you want to get, uh, I published a, a free ebook. It's totally free. Uh, sign up for that. It's how to drive uh, how to drive 10% more revenue in your restaurant literally overnight. I share 10 tips that you can literally put into practice right away because I think keeping things actionable is the most important thing. So if you go to the website, restaurantstrategypodcast.com, you'll see the big link right front and center. Click there and uh, you'll get an email that will send you the, uh, the download. It's an ebook. It's like 12 pages. You'll read it in 10 or 15 minutes and you'll be able to then start planning how to implement the things right away. Uh, it's already helping a ton of people. We've given away a couple hundred of them uh, already just in the last couple of weeks since we released it. And uh, that's, that's a great way to get started with what we're, uh, what we're all about. That's awesome. Are you on TikTok? I am not on TikTok. I, I am. I'm just not active on TikTok. When, when will you get active on TikTok? You know, we should have a whole separate episode where you teach me <laughs> really what I should be doing on TikTok. Well, and we'll teaching use is, that. Teaching as, is just doing, right? It's, it's, yeah. back, it's back to just quantity will we'll produce the quality. So yeah, chip, chip close on TikTok. Is that right? Yeah, chip close at TikTok. Okay, on perfect. TikTok. So all, all of our listeners, we all can follow you and then we can encourage you to make more content on TikTok. Yeah, come bother me. We will. <laughs> All right. You guys know how to find me at Sean P. Walchef. We appreciate you listening. Uh, we look forward to catching you next week and be sure to be on the lookout for Restaurant Influencers. That is the new podcast that will be coming out with Entrepreneur and Yelp. Um, it's coming very soon and we uh, will appreciate you guys subscribing and supporting that, that show as well. So thank you guys. We'll catch you next week.